I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. I love the diversity. I love that, you know, your allotment can be full of one thing and then the allotment next to you is completely different and the allotment next to that is completely different. And actually, we were a byword for social commentators, not just in England, but in Europe as well, who said, you know, the British labourer is the poorest labourer in Europe because they have no land. And allotments were seen as one of many ways to try and solve this problem. That was the voice of garden historian Twigs Way. The clip is from an episode we released this summer called Back on the Allotment. In that episode, Twigs detailed how the rise of allotments was tied to the enclosure movement. At first, it was all about renting plots to labourers to improve their economic prospects after land became privatised. And in this context, Growing your own was seen as a key way to save money. It's a great contrast to the way gardening had become a somewhat ostentatious way to show off how rich you were. Think of your favourite noble estate. Today, there's still much to be said about how growing can save you money. Or at the very least, how you can design beautiful plots without breaking the bank. So in this show, we're following in the footsteps of the early budget-conscious allotmenteers to stretch the money we spend on our gardens as far as possible. We'll be hearing from gardening influencer Anya Lautenbach, aka Anya the Garden Fairy. We're exploring the science behind cuttings, and we'll be getting an inside look at the RHS Apprenticeship Programme. You're listening to Gardening with the RHS, with me, Guy Barter. Anya Lautenbach, known as Anya the Garden Fairy on her wildly popular Instagram page, is a self-taught gardener from Poland with a passion for propagation. Take one look at her profile and you'll be bombarded with videos on how to propagate dozens of different plants. Scrolling through, I see tips on lavender, hydrangeas, chilies, mint, the list goes on. And next week, on the 8th of February, Anya's releasing a new book aptly titled The Money-Saving Gardener. So we tracked her down to share her top five tips for saving money in the garden this winter, which may or may not include some very helpful advice on cuttings. (laughs) 
I grew up in Poland and I was surrounded by people who were very money conscious. And I still remember we didn't have much money, but we always had a lovely garden. We were just very resourceful. So we didn't waste anything. And this really influenced me now in my own garden and on my own journey. My mom was very much into propagation. She loved propagating plants. And when I was growing up, we always had some cuttings on our windowsills. And when I was 12, I remembered very well, I really got into propagation. And I always propagated plants. I never stopped propagating. So my mom really influenced me in that way. She showed me how easy it is to create something, to grow something without spending any money. I have created my garden by growing plants from seeds and cuttings and it was such an amazing and positive experience. I absolutely loved seeing things develop and I just got so much joy from creating a garden and not spending much money that I wanted to inspire other people. So initially I started sharing it on social media. I still do. I create short videos and I show people how to propagate, how to create gardens at the fraction of the cost. And over the years, people sent me so many messages asking about things that I said in the past. And at some point I started thinking, how could I capture it all in one place? How could I teach people and capture it in one place so that people could actually have it all? And at some point I thought, well, a book would be probably the best thing um, so that everybody can have all my secrets and all the top tips, all the lists of plans, all in one place. And this way, the Money Saving Gardener came to life. Today, I would like to share few of my top tips how to save money in winter. First thing is letting things be. I think the more you clear, the more money you have to spend later in the springtime. Letting things be means that you will create habitats for wildlife, you will have birds visiting your garden in the spring, they will feed on all the caterpillars and slugs and snails that are not very welcome. Um, so not clearing means that you will invite all the useful wildlife into your garden. If you make your garden a wildlife friendly place, you will have less pests because you will create the habitats, you will encourage wildlife and this way you will not only save money on chemicals that aren't really good for the environment, but also time. So my next tip is buying good quality gardening equipment secondhand. Winter is the time when people don't really think about gardening and this is the best time for money-saving gardeners who can go on local social media groups and ask if anyone is getting rid of pre-owned quality gardening equipment. Um, if you do the same thing in spring, let's say March or April, there will be a, an army of other gardeners that will want your tools 
but if you do it during the winter time not many people will be interested and you have better chances to get some really great equipment at reduced prices. My next tip is when you prune trees or hedges, anything that you prune in the winter time, to keep all the branches and use them later as plant support. Because now you might not need them, but they will be very, very useful and they will save you a lot of money otherwise spent on plant support. Tip number four is taking hardwood cuttings. Not only it's really rewarding, but during the winter time when not much is happening in your garden and you probably have more time, you can take so many cuttings of roses, hydrangeas, lavender, shrubs, and they will root over the next few months and you will end up with some lovely new healthy plants for free. Hardwood cuttings are very easy to take. You simply cut a stem and you can put the hardwood stems in the plant pot or you can put it directly in the ground and simply put it in, in some compost and let it be. And the best thing about hardwood cuttings is that you don't need to water them. You can actually forget about them. And this way not only saves you money later because you don't have to buy your plants, but it also saves time because you will have nature on your side. The rain will water your cuttings and you can simply forget about them. And later in the springtime, you just go and you harvest your cuttings or you just plant them in the final destination. My final tip is use what you have instead of buying. I think that people waste so much money on bedding plants. They only last for a very short time. So instead of buying bedding plants, fill your pots with branches. And that could be a dogwood. A dogwood is very attractive. And instead of buying bedding plants, you can simply use the dogwood, which you have to prune in the wintertime anyway, you use them for decoration. You can also use all sorts of branches from your garden. Schemia, for example, it looks lovely in pots. So instead of buying more plants, you can just use what your garden produces. I really hope that I will make stunning gardens accessible for all. I have created my garden at the fraction of the cost. And I think, especially now, as we are facing a cost of living crisis, many people will think that they have to say no to pretty gardens because they cost too much. Nothing could be further from the truth. And I really hope that people will get inspired and they will see how easy it is and they don't have to say no to pretty gardens. Thanks there to Anya. You can read more about The Money-Saving Gardener using a link in our show notes. I recently read some research that's just been published on the carbon footprint of various kinds of allotment gardens and community gardens. And allotment gardens are often much better than other forms of community garden. And this is because in allotments, people are obviously following Anya's advice and they're not spending a great deal of money on environmentally questionable things like lots of timber for raised beds and various plastic greenhouses and such like. So by saving money, you can also help the environment. On my allotment, I cut posts by coppicing trees 
I shop around for seeds. There's lots of seed companies online that are very much cheaper than the major seed companies, and they provide a good sized packets too. I also buy fertilizer in bulk. The amount of plastic and the cost of one litre bottles of liquid fertilizer is astonishing. It's much better to buy a 20 kilogram pack either from, say, your allotment shop or by shopping online. Plants can't read the labels and one high potassium fertilizer is much like another. Anya mentioned taking cuttings as a top money-saving tip, hardwood cuttings in particular. We use terms like taking cuttings or propagating all the time on the podcast, and so we felt it was time to clear up any confusion. Here with an explainer on the science behind these techniques, as well as tips to ensure success, is our very own James Armitage, botanist extraordinaire and editor of both the Plant Review and the Orchid Review. We just heard from Anya about taking hardwood cuttings and so I thought it might be useful to explore a bit more what we mean by cuttings and what's happening with the plant when we take cuttings. Well, cutting is, is a part of the plant which we separate and treat in such a way that it's induced to make roots of its own and then behave and grow as a separate self-sustaining plant. When we talk about cuttings, we usually mean parts of a stem but we don't always mean that. We can mean bits of leaf or even bits of root itself. But what we're always talking about is vegetative growth rather than seeds. So it's vegetative rather than sexual reproduction. Cuttings take advantage of an ability that the plant has to produce adventitious roots. So what we mean by that is roots from a part of the plant where they wouldn't normally grow. And this is because plants contain a certain sort of tissue called meristematic tissue, which in the stems grows in an area called the cambium. And this is undifferentiated tissue, and it's not specialised into any particular function or form, so it can become anything. And we want to encourage the plant to make that meristematic tissue into root tissue, so that the plant then produces roots and grows separately from the, the mother plant. When we take a cutting, the part of the plant that we separated immediately goes into a stress response and it triggers all sorts of hormonal changes. And one of those hormonal changes is that it's not receiving any of the hormones that it usually does get from the roots. And so the cutting immediately starts to try and produce roots of its own as a response to this. So it's an entirely different hormonal state to when it's attached to the plant and it's desperate and fighting for life and we can take advantage of that and encourage it to become a new self-sustaining plant. Cuttings has, has many advantages over growing from seed. Where you grow from seed, you get a recombination of genetic material. So the plant that you produce is not identical to its parent. But when you take from cuttings, you save all the same genetic material. So the plant that you produce is identical to the, the parent and therefore a clone. So if you have a particularly good plant, a cultivar, that you want to, to have more of, then taking cuttings guarantees a way that you're going to have exactly the same plant to grow and plant in your garden. Well, a huge range of plants grow from cuttings, herbaceous as well as woody plants. There are some plants which are extremely reluctant to take from cuttings. Things like oaks spring to mind. They really don't like 
taken from cuttings. And so they are often grafted. But an enormous range of plants will produce their own roots. And these can be categorized as, as softwood cuttings or semi-ripe cuttings or hardwood cuttings. And it refers basically to the state of maturity of the growth from which you're taking the cutting. So if it's um, very recent growth, still expanding, still green, we would call that a greenwood or a softwood cutting. If it's just starting to become woody, that would be a semi-ripe cutting. And if it's fully mature and woody, then that would be a hardwood cutting. So you're taking um, greenwood cuttings in the early part of the season as the growth is still expanding. And the reason you might do this is because sometimes that growth being more juvenile is in a kind of uncertain hormonal state and is more likely to produce roots. And with things like acers, maples, if you don't root them very early in the season, then they don't have long enough to build up sufficient energy store to drop their leaves and survive that dormant period so they don't get large enough. But for a lot of woody plants, semi-ripe growth, taken in sort of about June time, June or July, is, is the best to root. But for other things, such as roses often, even things like cornus, salix famously, you can take fully ripe hardwood cuttings. And that can be done while the plant is dormant. So you don't want to do this while the plant is still growing because it's an awful lot of uh, material which doesn't have roots that the plant needs to support. So you want to do it while the plant is, is dormant and uh, at a low metabolic rate, and then it can take its time and produce roots over a long period. There's several things you can do to, to raise your chances of success. Good hygiene is always really important. And make sure the material you take, if possible, is healthy. This, after all, is gonna be the basis of your new plant. So you, you want nice, vigorous growth. And when it comes to taking the plant, you've got to try and strike a balance. So you've got to give the plant enough light, if it's in growth, that it's still able to photosynthesize, but not so much that it's going to desiccate. You've got to give it enough air around the roots that it's able to breathe, but also enough moisture that the thing doesn't collapse. So you're always trying to strike this, this balance between what the plant needs. Generally speaking, the medium you want to use is well aerated, but moist. So with lots of perlite or grit or sand, things that will keep the, the mixture open, but retain some moisture. Some things you can root in water. Willows generally will root in water. A lot of succulent plants, begonias, lots of house plants will root in water. You need to change that water regularly so that bacteria doesn't build up. And one thing to remember is when you transplant that plant into soil, it will need some acclimatization time. So it's probably best to put a, a plastic bag over the top just so it doesn't lose too much water because it's gonna be a shock to the system. And also don't always go by what the books tell you. If at first you don't succeed, try something else and you might find that that, that works. So be eclectic in the sorts of cuttings you take and eventually, hopefully, you will achieve success. I'm always taking cuttings of, of plants and not always with tremendous success. Sometimes you'll visit somebody and they'll say, oh, take a cutting, it's the wrong time of the year. 
and already you're imagining in your mind planting this thing in your garden and it comes as a horrible disappointment when it desiccates and crisps and um, rots away and all the rest of it. But there's a famous plant or a plant that's famously difficult to root called Lanicera hildebrandiana, which is a magnificent, not very hardy honeysuckle. And when I was a lad about 20 years old, I got the opportunity to take loads and loads and loads of these cuttings. I must have taken about a hundred of these cuttings from a very large plant and I got two to root. So that's probably my greatest success as a, as a, a propagator taking cuttings. This year I'm going to try and take sorbus cuttings because people always say that sorbus is very difficult from cuttings but some will will root apparently in just the standard sort of semi-ripe cutting kind of way so I'm going to try some of those and keep my fingers crossed. I think people are much more likely to give seeds a go than cuttings and they can't deal with the disappointment when they don't work but practice makes perfect and when you do get that success the, the feeling of achievement is immense so I hope people will, will give it a go and not be discouraged. My first job after leaving college was working as a propagator as it happened and my days would be spent going out into the cutting beds or the stock beds with a plastic bag and a sharp pair of secateurs taking cuttings and putting them straight into a plastic bag because they must never ever wilt and then striding back to my cutting bench in the nursery shed and busy chopping up these cuttings with a very sharp knife or a razor blade and putting them into trays, watering them, and then placing them under various gadgets, like under a polythene tent, which is pretty much like a home gardener's propagator, or a clever device called a mist unit that keeps the surface of cutting leaves moist but never soggy. It was a pretty steep learning curve, but I'm particularly proud of my attempts to propagate Clerodendron fungii, which is a herbaceous plant or sort of shrub with foul smelling leaves. But at that time it was becoming very popular. So we scrounged some cutting material from a local head gardener and I tried to bulk up the stock as quickly as possible by taking little cuttings with just one bud. And I'm delighted to say that they worked and we grew on some lots of lovely plants that proved very popular with our garden centre customers. And now for our final story of the day. We're shifting gears a bit, moving into how exactly you can make a career out of gardening and get paid to grow. Sheila Das is a garden manager at RHS Garden Wisley who works with the professional learners on site. And she wanted us to share the unexpected story of how one of their current apprentices, Rory Doyle, joined the programme. So Rory, let's start with how this all began. Can you remember how we started talking about this? I can, I remember well. It was a warm summer's afternoon, I believe, and I think I'd just been doing a cafe shift because I, I just started for company of cooks, actually, in the front cafe. And I remember chatting away and working, and I happened to be speaking to you, of all people. I think you're coming for a cookie. Yeah. Was it? Don't um, tell anyone. <laughs> I won't tell, I won't tell. I was saying to you, I've noticed all the gardeners coming in smiling. What's the secret? And you said, we'll come and find out. I had no idea about horticulture. For me, my understanding of horticulture was when your dad would say, 
go and help your mum do some weeding in the garden. And I thought, boring, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think too, I didn't really know much about it. And I found out that you could actually volunteer. And we arranged a day on the Alpine team. Well, three teams actually. It was the Alpine team, the formal team, and the edibles team. And I, I remember getting up quite early and thinking, oh, it's quite fresh out. Yeah. And I went off to join, first of all, it was the formal team. And we did a rosebush pruning masterclass. And I just remember sort of thinking, this is this is incredible. Like, I just had no idea you could do this kind of thing. I'd walk past one of the gardeners in the summer, actually. I just stopped him quite abruptly. And he kind of looked at me and I just said, how did you get this job? Like, quite aggressively. <laughs> so that's interesting, Rory, mm. though, because I remember when I came into the cafe after I was tired... Long day, I went to get something sweet, didn't yeah. I? And you were in there and we chatted. And just from then, really, you'd been, how long had you been working in the cafe? I think I'd only, I'd been doing one day a week in the cafe and yeah. I was also working in Tesco's. So I'd probably not been more than maybe three months yeah. at the most. Yeah. I wasn't really opening my eyes to what's around. Like I'd, I'd, not, I'd heard of Wisley, but I didn't know too much about it, just yeah. driven past it. And I, I didn't have a clue. It feels like a, like a hidden gem, really. And, I think it was only when we did our walk around, yeah. I, I got a real grasp of what actually is out there in Wisley. I'm still finding stuff out now and it's been three months. I still get lost <laughs> halfway around the garden. I remember that really fondly, Rory. We had a lovely walk around. We talked about the possibility of coming doing some work experience and then we organised those days for you in the garden. Just remind me, where did you work when you came and did your work experience? So when I did my work experience, I did three different places. The first time, I was on the formal team and we did a pruning masterclass, which was really great. Got taught how to properly hold the secateurs and we were taught best ways to cut to leave like an outward facing bud, which at the time I thought it would go all over my head. Like I didn't really know what was going on, but I was saying to Sheila, actually, it's one of the reasons I thought I should apply is because when I came away from it, I retained some of the information. So I thought this is, it could be something for me. That was just one day and I came away feeling pretty good. I, you know, you're outside all the time getting fresh air and I think it's great to be around nature and, and learning. So I thought I'll try another place. So then I went on to the Alpine team, which was incredible. They were just putting in the cushion garden, I think. Mm. Um, yeah. They had the rocks going in. So I sort of, I've seen the stages now. And it's great to see stuff that changes so quickly. I think about with Wisley, you've got to keep your eyes peeled because they'll move something somewhere or something will grow. And it's incredible. And then the last day I was on the edibles team, which was great. We were tying down the grapevines. I just thought it was incredible and really appreciated everyone's willingness to like, encourage you to be there. Sounds, sounds great, Rory, those three days that you spent with the team. So after you'd done that, what did it make you think about? How did you think you wanted to proceed? So for me, the, the biggest pull was just the garden itself. After coming home, at the end of the day and feeling more energetic and having some knowledge I'd retained from doing the master classes, learning skills and realising that you could actually be paid to even learn or be in Wisley. I just thought I need to get involved somehow. It was more of a gut instinct thing. And then with my application process, I wasn't sure I'd get in because I didn't have so any. this, So this is applying for the apprenticeship. Mm -hmm. So we'd obviously already talked about that. But yeah. then you, you thought, right, so after the work experience, didn't put you off, you applied for the apprenticeship. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was keen. Like, there's something about Wisley and it's just you, you want to get involved and you come away feeling good about it. Yeah. And I think from the day of volunteering, you come away with a lot of information 
And it's, great. it's from a place of not knowing that this really existed before, not even maybe a few years ago, really. Yeah, and I mean, for me, Rory, I'll share mm. a secret with you, eight years plus in, and mm. I'm st- still very magical, so that's all oh, yeah. good. Yeah, that's a good way I'd describe it. I've just been walking around Oakwood, and that's very magical. Yeah. So we did the interview, and then about, and it wasn't that long afterwards, was it? I came yeah. into the cafe. Yeah. Can you remember? <laughs> I remember I that really I, remember that I was really a bit well. surprised, actually. Yeah, I remember <laughs> Sheila came in, and, and it was quite busy in the cafe, but Sheila sort of came up and she said... Oh, just to let you know, you've been successful. And my reaction was just, yeah, can I let you know? And I, but it wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't trying to be rude. I just hadn't processed anything. And Abby said, you know, you've been accepted, Abby, my cafe manager. And I said, oh, so I got on the radio quickly and I rang Sheila back and I was like, I'm really sorry. I'd, l- I'd love to join. When, when can I start sort of thing? Great. So now you are three, four months on, however long. Mm-hmm. Um, what have you enjoyed and... What are you looking forward to? Without sounding too cheesy, I'd say I've met lots of new friends, which has been a real boost, a real sense of connecting with other people. And putting yourself out of your comfort zone massively, and you feel like you're making quite a difference. And then you've got the group of friends that are doing it together, so you all come together. And you're like, oh, did you do that? What have you been up to? And it's, it's really yeah. nice. Yeah, it's a lovely group. Oh, it is. Yeah, everybody seems to be of a similar kind of mindset that they want to be here and they want you to succeed. Not one week has been the same. And I've I sort of made a little blog on my Instagram, actually, of each section I've been on. And it's little reels or videos of stuff I've done so I can look back on that. And I've the amount I've done or covered in three months is, is insane. I remember the first day we came in and it reminded me of a scene from Harry Potter when they're getting off the boats, you know. <laughs> and, uh, we're all sort of there together and, you know, you just, you get all this amazing gear. It feels like you've won the lottery and then you go through and it's just, it's just been an amazing experience. I, I've been telling everybody else to, to get involved, really. Amazing. Mm. Thank you, Rory. No, thank you. That was Sheila Das and Rory Doyle. If anyone's interested in coming in for work experience at any of the five RHS gardens, do go to the new shoots page on our website. We've included a link in the show notes. And applications are now open for the apprenticeship programme across all RHS gardens. So if hearing about Rory's experience as an apprentice has whetted your appetite, do go apply. We've included a link with more information about this in our show notes as well. The closing date is the 1st of March, so you have exactly a month. Before we go, I want to share my advice for how you can prep for the growing season now that we've finally made it to February. Indoors, you can sow salads, tender vegetables like tomatoes and peppers, tender flowers, and also Brussels sprouts. They need a long growing season. It's also time to prune evergreens. They respond best to pruning now. Examples of things like hollies. And also clearing spent crops is a thing to do now. Get the ground ready for re-sowing uh, next spring. There's an old saying, the difference between a good gardener and a bad gardener is about two weeks, so it's time to get moving. That's all for now. So from me, Guy Barter, goodbye and thanks for listening. Thank you. 
I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.